A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 2, Episode 5, and I'm Priya. And I'm John. And today we're excited to have with us Phil Mix, who is a, a guru in the field of organization development and many other areas, as we've just been chatting about in our prep time. So, Phil, I think the, the topic for today that we've talked about discussing is the blend or the, the space between connecting personal work and professional work. So nice to have you join us, Phil. And how shall we get started? Well, thank you very much for your very kind introduction, John. I'm delighted to be here. I worked for a number of years as a management consultant. And at a certain point, I realized that I was missing a huge piece of the work with clients. And it was the emotional side of things, the emotional intelligence side of things. And it required me to for the first time in my life to really pay attention to myself and my self-awareness and my self-development and so forth, which took me down uh, a very um, uh, uh, formative uh, path of personal work. But I, I realized very quickly as I began that journey that there was a strong connection between the choices I had been making in my work, the kinds of people that I was attracted to to work with, the types of organizational situations that I was attracted to, uh, the types of interventions that I was making, and the, call it the uh, unresolved or an incomplete personal work uh, that I was carrying with me unknowingly. Phil, there's, there's something in what you're saying that's resonating with me. So I think there's been an overlap for me as well in terms of my personal work, and my professional work. Is there an example that you've got from your story that could bring this to life, like where the overlap was for you? Okay. Uh, I can recall it was, I was probably about 40 years old or so, so several years ago. And um, I, I was introduced to, really to NTL and did my first tea group and did a program called Holding On and Letting Go, which is still offered. Uh, I, I, was, I gravitated towards work with a, a couple. They were named John and Joyce Weir, a very famous pair in the history of NTL. And I was in one of their personal growth workshops. We were all sitting in a circle. And I believed that I had a very clever insight into what was happening with the group. And I was eager to get in to uh, show off that I had this marvelous insight into what was happening in the group that nobody else was speaking to. And others in the group would make contributions uh, and so on. I couldn't get in. And I was very frustrated that I couldn't get in. I was so eager to get in and show what I was observing. Um, This went on for several minutes, and I realized that the group of people were a representation of my family of origin. My family of origin was a family of nine, so there were seven children in the family. And if I looked around the room, I could almost see, based on the voices and other features of people, I could almost see composites of brothers and sisters and parental voices and so on around the room. And I realized that I was back in a family environment 
rather than sitting in this weir lab, as it was called. So when a, there was a pause at one point, and I was able to come in, and instead of showing off uh, uh, my clever insight into what the group had been doing 15 minutes earlier or so, I reported the insight that I had about how I was sort of transferring uh, my experience, a family experience onto that group setting where I was uh, unable to get my voice in, um, uh, not yeah, just not, not, not sufficiently heard. And it was a huge learning for me about the power of the unconscious in terms of projections and transferences and so on. And that set me on a path of, of exploring that much further, but also reflecting on work that I had done up until that point and the types of people, as I said before, the types of people that I've been attracted to, the work settings. I've been involved in numerous situations where uh, volatility was a feature in the organization, where there might have been very uh, difficult uh, uh, authority figures and so on that, n- that nobody dared take on. And these were all familiar to me from my family experience. And I, I began to understand that most of the work that I had done in my life up until that point was driven by unconscious motivations of mine to, yeah, to, to, to complete things that I hadn't been able to complete uh, when I was younger. Um, it, it gave me a whole new way of looking at the work that I was doing and required me to to be much more choiceful about my interventions. Yeah, it's an amazing story as you share mm-hmm. it, and I, I can even feel it as I sit and, and hear it. And I've heard other amazing stories from you and experiences from you, Phil, but um, that's my first time hearing that one. So thanks again for sharing. And I guess the curiosity that's popping up for me is uh, – in that moment where you you shifted from trying to get into uh, the family part of the experience for you, what what work had you done up to that point, or what created that opportunity or that space, or what made that aha moment possible for you? Uh, it was the content of the of the workshop for sure. It was the um, the uh, the inputs that John Weir was was giving us. Um, and it was the experiential work of the workshop that was helping me get closer to uh, awarenesses about my own uh, my own ways of, of of making sense of my experiences and so on. So it was it was um, the environment within which I had that experience uh, prepared me for for the awarenesses that I had. Is that, is that the question that you're asking, John? Yeah, that, that does make sense. So the workshop itself creates a space to, to have that moment, which yes. then I guess carries forward into some of the work that you've continued on after that is creating workshops and experiences similar to that. Is that true? Yes, that is true. That is true. And, um, I, uh, I mean, John used to say, he would say, I can't tell you anything about you. I can only tell you about me. And he would use language like um, the you and me. He would say, uh, all I can do is make you up on the basis of my own internal formulations based on a whole range of criteria that we bring to, uh, you know, to our sort of sorting process when we're taking in data through our senses and so on, and we're trying to make meaning of those senses. 
we have no choice but to project uh, outwards what meaning we're making internally based on that on, on our own life unique life experience up until that point um, so with that in mind I have been much more mindful uh, in my work with groups in particular where I uh, I don't want to assume that I what I am observing is what others are observing. I don't want to, I, I certainly don't want to presume uh, to, to know what, what somebody might need in a moment without seeking some clarification, without trying to <clears throat> get them to explore their own experience for themselves. Is this a bit too abstract at the moment? No, it's working for me. In fact, okay. I'm I'm quite engaged at the yeah, moment. Yeah, me Priya, too. How about you? Yeah, um, Phil. What what it's making me think of is so I do some executive coaching as part of my business, and often I work with leaders who are at this tipping point. Um, you know, they've they've developed their career very much on what they know, so their technical expertise. Then they've become you know leaders of teams or you know, have significant influence of a business. So how they work becomes important. So they've got the what, then they, you know, the hows become really important. And then when they get to a level of, you know, seniority or something's gone wrong or they've faced a redundancy, suddenly there becomes a question about who they are. Yes. Um, and it's at that tipping point that I found probably some of my most powerful coaching experiences where people are, no longer thinking of professional development as in, you know, more stuff that I should know, but they're they're thinking about things like impact and values and authenticity and um, presence and, you know, uh, and, and almost re-looking at decisions that they've made in the past, perhaps on autopilot and going, actually, now what it is that I want? And that's when you're talking, that's the kind of space I'm hearing in my head, the kind of clients I've worked with who are really doing not the what and the how work, but the who, the who am I work. I, I love what you're saying, Priya. It resonates with me completely. But I but I also heard in your story, and I, I know you said that it was the content of the workshop that stimulated the thinking. I'm wondering as well, and this has certainly been true for my own experience, that there's a I wonder if there's a point in time when we become ready to face these things or you know there's a certain amount of bravery about stepping in and realizing oh you know there's a pattern here I I think that takes a bit of bravery not not everybody is always ready for that level of introspection I agree with that I um I had been working with a client and my job was to help them think through how they were going to restructure their business. And this was in the, uh, the late 1980s. The business, it was a, it was a nuclear decommissioning business in, here in the UK. And they had a chief physicist and a chief, um, I don't know, a chief uh, engineer and a chief something else. A lot of chiefs who headed up technical divisions. And they were eminent people. And they decided that they had to restructure themselves and create business units that, that were P&L units rather than cost centers in the overall structure. And when, so we worked through the, the new structure and so on. And when the time came to uh, put new people, to put people in charge of these business units, the, the chief executive said, well, it's going to have to be 
him and him and him, the men who had been the chief engineer and the chief physicist and so forth. And I said, but they're totally unsuitable. They're not business people. They're not marketing people. They're not business people. They're, they're technical people. And he said, there's no way I can look them in the eye and tell them that they can't have the top jobs. So I, I tried everything I could to convince him that he was going to fail by doing what he wanted to do. And I failed uh, to convince him. So I thought, I need to learn how to influence better. Uh, so I better go take a course on how to influence. And that's what led me to NTL. Uh, I, um, I decided to do, I had to do a tea group. Uh, the, the, the program I wanted to do was called Holding On and Letting Go. And I thought, well, that sounds a little bit like influence. There must be something about influence in that. But as a prerequisite, I had to do a tea group. So I did the tea group. And then the next week I did the Holding On and Letting Go. Well, when I did the tea group, as you'll know from your experiences, um, it, it really awakened me to uh, things that I just had not been paying attention to. And I quickly realized that it wasn't about trying to learn skills in influencing somebody else to do what I wanted them to do. It was about understanding myself and what impact I was having on people and how I could be more effective, perhaps, in working with people to help them get what they needed. So it was, um, I agree completely that you have to be ready. Uh, and I think that you have to find the resources that can help you, uh, that help can help reassure you as you make your way. So as you continue this work today, where do you see yourself sort of in this moment practicing this work? And I guess part of my, my curiosity there is what might be just next for you too? Like you talked about these two courses being back to back. What's your personal work today, if that's not too much to ask? And, and where is it headed, I guess is the question. Yes. Um, well, good question. Um, my personal work today involves some work with clients. It involves the daily meditation. It involves seeing a, a therapist regularly. It involves work supervision on a weekly basis uh, with resources, using resources that I value highly. I, I continue to learn about myself and I trust that as I mature, as I get older, as I relax within myself and feel more uh, at ease with my way of being with others, that I don't have to prove something, that, I don't, that I'm not invested in showing how clever I am or so, that, um, that I can be more effective. But that may mean that I have to be uh, prepared to, uh, to work less because I may not find as many clients who are ready to work with someone who's in the place that I'm in. Well, do you know what's striking me, Phil? Is so it's it, and this is this is all my own bias and work. When I um, look up and I see people like you and Marianne and you know, you know, so so many people, I I don't I don't know why, but I I think I must just assume that at one stage, you know, you're done. And I don't mean done as in done developing, but some of the things that you talked about there as your personal work, I would say it's my personal work too. And I'm at the other end of the spectrum in terms of, you know, age or experience in OD. Um, I still feel quite new. Um, so it's just striking me how many similarities there are 
And it doesn't seem to be about experience, which a lot of people in the professional sense, if you think about professional development, they would think about experience really counting, whereas personal work can be ageless, it seems. I agree. I, I There was a time when I was working for myself uh, when I didn't have to look to an organization for a, for a budget for development. So I made my own decisions and I would make sure that I did at least two developmental programs a year plus often often I did regular therapy and so on so I I have quite a long list of programs that I did personal development programs that I've done over the years uh, and I I often sought out the best people that I could find uh, people who knew about interpersonal uh, relations but also people who knew about um, holistic approaches uh, uh, Jack Cornfield who's a great Buddhist meditation teacher, Stan Groff, who, who does uh, holotropic breath work, Stanley Kelman, who does, he does uh, somatic uh, work uh, around uh, the connections between the unconscious and uh, body movement and so on. Uh, I believe that we have to, if we're going to presume to be able to be fully available to our clients, uh, we have to, um, we have to continue to explore ourselves in every way possible so that whatever whatever arises in our consulting interventions, whatever arises in our coaching interventions, uh, we can sit comfortably, contain, uh, contain the anxiety, um, create the space for the risk-taking that our clients have to take to, um, uh, to get where they, where they want to go. Um, and, and as you say, Priya, it's a huge risk for people to confront the idea that maybe much of my working life has been wasted or has been spent, as, as somebody put it, I think Parker Palmer, who was it, Parker? Somebody said, uh, reaching a midlife point, which I'm guessing is around 40 or so, uh, is a realization that you're near the top of the ladder, but you've put the ladder against the wrong wall. And, and I quite That's like so that true. because um, I love that. I do think that there's, unless people have had some very exceptionally unusual or even traumatic life experiences before their mid thirties or forty-ish uh, years or so, it, it's age appropriate for people only to start to reflect on the personal side. The uh, I, I'll, I'll equate that to the emotional intelligence side, the self-awareness side. So if the title of our podcast is Questions Worth Asking, it sounds like there are probably quite a few questions in there <laughs> that are worth asking on the emotional side, on the personal side, the, the, the connection between personal and professional work. What if we, unless you have one, I'm, I'm making an assumption now that maybe there are a few we could brainstorm together. What's your thinking on... In this space, what are the questions worth asking? Well, one of my questions, I suppose, could be um, if I reflect back on important people in my life and why they were important to me, what does that tell me about the choices that I've made, why I've made them in my personal life, in my work life? What's the overlap between the two? I I've done that, and I'm, in fact, I'm looking at a list here, and there are about 35 people on my professional list and 15 people on my personal list. And there's some overlap in that. 
and I can tell myself a story by looking at that history. John, is, is there a question that's coming up for you that feels worth asking in this? I'm still sitting with that one because I love that too. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what's going on for me in this moment right now. I, I'm loving this because uh, it's come to my conscience for the first time in any of our recordings, Priya, that it's the three of us here right now in this moment, and yet there's this other group of people that will get to listen in. And I know we've talked about that. We talk about the audience and our listeners, but I'm more in this moment right now than in most of our recordings. And I think what triggered it for me is Phil talking about um, wanting to get in and wanting to sound smart and wanting to impress everyone. Mm. That's I'm, I'm staggering a bit from that. I think I do that more than I'd like to. And so I'm still processing and yet trying to be here in the conversation. So I'm loving this. <laughs> uh, and what's coming up for me, uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, again, I think, I Phil, we always aim to be really raw and honest. And I think you've role modeled that in this in this recording. From what you've said, what's really come up for me is development seems like it's most powerful when it's at that sweet spot between the personal and the professional. And I just have been thinking about so many of the people that I've known that have divorced the two and thus they've missed out on the richness of development because they've tried to go, you know, divorce personal development from real professional development, like they're two separate things. And this call has just been a real massive reminder for me about how the power comes when they overlap. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm loving what the two of you are saying. Uh, um, the something that I said before about realizing that there may be limits on the clients that are going to want to use me as their consultant or so, because people are in different places in terms of risk taking and so on. Uh, I, I do think that the challenge is to find ways of 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 reassuring people that it's important for them to slow down and to pay attention to aspects of themselves. Uh, I, I'm recalling one time when I was working with somebody who was very dismissive of personal development and so on. And I suggested once that he and I do a workshop together so that, so that I could sort of provide some reassurance that this was going to be a safe thing for him to do. And we did it together. And that opened up some new opportunities for him. So I, I think it requires being creative, but but in the service of our clients rather than, as you were implying, John, uh, in uh, in the service of our of our own needs. Right. Is there anything you notice about the way a, a podcast is recorded, or the way this conversation is unfolding? Is there anything that pops up for you in in your awareness of of this setting in this moment? I'm not as relaxed as I would like to be. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling quite uh, intense uh, as I speak. I'm aware that I'm not sort of relaxed and just speaking um, almost philosophically. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting forward in my chair. I'm making, I'm speaking quite force, forcibly, forcefully, I think. Um, I'm, I'm, aware that I'm missing things. There are things that I'm thinking, oh, I wish I had said this or that. Uh, maybe I could have made the point better. Mm. So there's a lot going on for me. 
It's it's really interesting, Phil. So what's going on for me is just I'm sitting here almost like vibrating with thoughts. Um, so for me, it stimulated lots of thinking. And normally when you're in the host role, I'm very focused on time, what I need to say, whose turn it is to come in, you know, the technical aspects of it. And in this call, I haven't been at all. I've, yeah, I just haven't been aware or it hasn't, I've kind of forgotten I'm supposed to be hosting and I'm, <laughs> I'm in listening mode. So just having, again, just a contrary kind of a very experience to you. I wonder for me, uh, a real question that, you know, we keep in or we don't is, um, Priya was saying this earlier, you can often get this sense of untapped wisdom. You sit with a person and you're in the middle yeah. of a conversation. You're thinking, I wish I knew what to ask, or I wish I knew what story to tell or, or, or where to take this. And I'm just, there's doubt, there's confusion, unsure of where to take it. So uh, maybe it's a two-part question, Phil, like how, how do you know where to take things, but also, uh, more specifically is, is there a story you feel like you haven't shared yet that you sort of, cause you talked about maybe having some things prepared to share. Is there anything you want to get recorded at all? Really any topic. When you asked me the question about um, what I might suggest to people in terms of paying attention to the connection between the personal and the professional, mm -hmm. I talked about looking back on who's been important and so on. I probably didn't say enough about the importance in my mind of family dynamics, whatever that might mean for people. Uh, so, for example, in my case, I mentioned that it was a large family, which I, I, was, I was ashamed of my family when I was a kid and um, couldn't wait to get away from my family. And it, it took until I was in my 40s or so and doing a lot of work that I began to appreciate, usually with the encouragement of teachers of mine, I began to appreciate what a, what a gift it had been to be in such a large, messy family um, where my father was extremely difficult. And um, I, I, I spent years going into organizations and finding the most difficult clients, usually the chief executive, managing director, whatever, uh, who, who were often seen as bullies in the organization. And I, it, I, I had a reputation for being able to get up alongside them and to persuade them that they didn't have to behave the way that they were behaving to get the most out of their organization. And if, if we worked together, if they just sort of took some, some inputs from me and tried some new things, they could get, uh, they could have much more success in what they were trying to do. And I did have a reputation, as I said, for being able to take on the most difficult people, the most difficult situations. And I, I took great pride in that. Uh, situations of racial violence, situations of union violence, uh, other situations of where, where the boss was just seen as a bully, an intellectual bully or otherwise, where by the time I finished working with them, there, there, was, a much, there was much more calm in the organization. The, the, the boss had decided that he had to change certain things about his behavior. Maybe there had been some experiments that people saw as evidence that things could change and so on. It was always a man, of course, and, and that's no accident either, partly because 
the history I'm talking about goes back to the history where men were in almost all the authority positions. But secondly, uh, I, I learned that I had been chasing men, looking for men to, to, to have the relationship with that I didn't have with my father. Uh, it sounds almost trite to put it that way, but it's, it's really true. Um, of the seven children in my family, I have a sister who's a lesbian. I had a, a brother who was gay and he's no longer alive, but they, they were, when they were growing up, when we were growing up, they, there was no language for, for what they were, for how they were experiencing themselves. Um, if anything, they were ridiculed and, uh, you know, being, a being who I was, I joined in on the ridiculing and so on. And, um, realized only much later in my life that, that, that what I had missed, um, by behaving the way I did when I was younger. And okay, I did go through a period of beating myself up for a lot of these things, but I've become much more compassionate towards myself. But, but I, I've become, uh, I, I've worked in some very sensitive situations. For example, once I was working in a Middle Eastern situation where, where there was a, a white expatriate gay man who was trying to command uh, the respect of a group of, of um, Middle East uh, Muslim men, and they would, they just wouldn't have anything to do with him because they, they knew he was gay. But he was one of the senior people in the organization, and this was a real challenge. Um, and it was my job in that situation. I, I offered myself uh, as somebody who might be able to help facilitate something. Uh, which I did do. Um, so, so some of my choices about the situations that I have wanted to help with have been driven by, I keep going back to the language of unresolved or incomplete personal work. Uh, and you can see that in I can, almost every successful project that I can point to in my work life uh, has elements of family work, personal family work in it. Uh, it's only in the last 20 years or so that I've been conscious of that, last 30 years, say, in the last 20 years where I've sought, uh, made sure that I've had supervision to help myself manage the boundaries between what's my work and what's the client's work. Mm. I'm still processing that, so it feels weird <laughs> to come in. But I, there's two things. That, a coach once said to me um, years ago that your family is your first team. Yes, yes. So it makes sense that some of those dynamics kind of come into play. And that might be a clue that our readers, sorry, our listeners can tap into, you know, what are those dynamics that come into play yes, uh, in your yes. professional life? I, I'm also struck, Phil, about how just how doing your own personal work has allowed, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems like you're, you doing the personal work that you've done has allowed you to also then do the professional work that you're able to do. So the overlap, I don't know if it's too trite to say, but it feels like doing your personal work has allowed you to do the professional work that you choose to, to do. Yes. I think I tried to do it without being aware of why I was trying, why I was doing yeah. it. And what was missing, I, I did it in sort of a, um, often a mechanistic way or a logical way as a way perhaps of defending myself for protecting myself from the emotional engagement of trying to do it. In, in an interpersonal way. I didn't have the skills either, but I didn't have the, 
the awareness that that was even possible. And, and once I did develop that awareness, that's, that's when I say I first became an OD consultant instead of a management consultant, when I started to see the connections uh, between the, the logical side and the emotional side, um, between the professional side and the personal side. So I've, I've suddenly looked at the clock and become aware of time, which means we have to bring this to a close. But I, and yeah, I don't want to. I want to keep talking and do like an hour long podcast, but I, <laughs> I will respect people's diaries. So this feels like a place to close this episode. So it's a goodbye from uh, the UK, who are currently are still in the EU as of December 2018. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a goodbye from just outside Washington, D.C. And Phil, how would, uh, how would you like to say goodbye? I would just like to thank the two of you for this opportunity. It's, it's uh, helped me to give voice to some of this stuff. I, I think about it a lot. I do talk to some of my closest colleagues and people like Diane, my wife, and so on. Uh, about these types of things, but but I don't talk about them as fully as we've been discussing them today in very many professional settings. So I'm very grateful to the two of you for indulging me. <laughs> I'm, I'm we're, we're very grateful to you. I I know lots of my colleagues and other professionals that will really admire the openness that you brought to this call. It's re- incredibly inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.